Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to another esports moment. I am Seamus Byrne, and we have one more special episode for you off the back of Intel Extreme Masters Sydney. Uh, And this is the big one. I have been waiting quite a while to get a chance to sit down with Mihal Blihaj from ESL. He is very well known around the circuit as Carmack, and he is just one of the biggest brains in the entire esports industry out there. His official title is Vice President of Pro Gaming at ESL, but he is always seen up on stage and presenting uh, so many different sort of moments attached to all of the big ESL events around the world. He is a really, really long-term personality and and figure behind the scenes of a lot of what's gone on the in the esports universe. And every time I see him speak on stage at a special event uh, or on a panel discussion, he is always so switched on and has so much to share about about where esports has been and where it's going next. And he has a very, very clear comprehension for for what it is uh, that that is going on in this industry. So it was really fantastic to get to sit down and have a really extensive interview with him about his thoughts on a lot of different aspects uh, about the industry today. And uh, look, I, I, I really, I don't want to... <laughs> keep holding back from from just diving into this interview. Uh, so let's just get to it. The really big thing that I often find when I've you know, encountered you around the world at different events, you're often put on stage to talk about the big picture side of esports. Um, you've been around the scene for you know, a really long time. What, what, like I really think you, you often really kind of cut to the chase of most of the discussions when questions sort of come up in these sorts of environments. So I'm curious... You know, what underpins your thinking about you know what this industry has always needed to do? Is there any sort of particular? Is it you know fans or players or businesses? Like, what is it you've always kind of felt like is the driving force to making this work? I think the, to me the, the the key of it is the future. We we have wonderful a wonderful present right now, but what is the future? How do we guarantee that? Every game that's big out there, that it has a future. Uh, how does it sustain? What is the future for League of Legends? It's not Bjergsen. 
It's not the players in TSM, in G2, in Fnatic, not the players in Korea right now. It's the players that will replace them eventually. I read uh, an article one day uh, in World Soccer. There was this Brian Glanville guy, and he wrote that, you know, watching the new replace the old in sports is an endless fascination. And it's one of the most amazing things because, you know, you've got... You've got your status quo. Let's say it's Roger Federer, right? Uh, in tennis, you've got your status quo. Um, and then you've got somebody new coming in and breaking that status quo out of nowhere. People didn't expect because that person was nowhere six months before, right? And this is one of the most beautiful things about any competition. Now, to what degree do we have that in esports? And in which of the esports titles do we have that? That is a question. And and is esports structured in a manner that is or specific or specific esports environments for for a specific game? Are they structured in a manner that is conducive to producing future superstars? Right. We see in Counter Strike, we see Forest at 30 or 31 years of age, still competing. Uh, a number of players who are, you know, those classic CS players who are still competing. And at the same time, you have players like Simple or the young players in Mouse Sports, for example, or Stewie 2K, uh, Twist and Team Liquid, a couple of those players who are, um, you know, I haven't heard of them uh, in, in, in the early days of even CSGO, not let alone CS in general. Yeah. Uh, so how do we make sure that there's an ecosystem that produces uh, a lot of those players? On the other hand, it seems to me like in franchise leagues uh, for, for all of esports, um, because the value is locked up, uh, you know, at the cutoff line at the bottom of the league um, and there is no entry. It seems like all the sunshine, so to speak, and the water for, for all the plants is going just to this 10-team, uh, uh, limited 10-team garden. Yeah. And all the plants outside, they have, they have literally no way to be nourished. Um, and some people tend to say that it's enough that, let's say, TSM is forced to have an academy, academy team. Um, I would say that's not enough. Um, due to the fact that you only the the best way to grow talent is to put them in an environment where they have a lot of competition at their level and they can gradually grow through a pyramid so my 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 lens for esports and my worry for esports is can we create ecosystems which consistently produce new fantastic players and replace new fantastic players and Esports is too young and those systems are too young to have, let's say, the ultimate correct judgment on it. But my guess is that the franchise uh, esports ecosystems are probably not the best choice from looking from that lens. Yeah. Sorry for the super long answer. But no, yeah, that's great. And I, it, it does point to the fact that we, we, we do focus. I mean, it is, it's wonderful to focus on these big Intel Extreme Masters type events. Um, but sometimes it does kind of overshadow the fact that ESL does have that tiered platform available, right? That, that you know, at your local level, you can just sign up and, and have fun online with your friends or with whatever team you put together. Um, you know, so clearly within your, your understanding of kind of how ESL works, that that is a critical part of, of making sure we're always kind of feeding that from the bottom? 
Yeah, I, I mean, we have this zero to hero philosophy, um, and it's always been like this as 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 long as I was in charge of Intellect Three Masters, for example. Here, we could theoretically invite the sixteen most attractive teams that we could possibly invite. Uh, but then we would put the value that we generate towards the teams in the hands of the, sa- the very same entities. How is somebody outside of that group supposed to? Uh, how is somebody outside of the group supposed to break in if they're not getting a fair shot? So yeah. we're always trying to make our events. Of, of course, it has to be a balance, but we're trying to make our events as open as it is viable for us so uh, here we have a, a large number of teams of we have had a large number of teams that are you know not on the list of the average reddit fan as exciting but they qualified fair and square and they they're competing uh, and the only way for them to get better is to have a chance to compete with somebody that's above them and level up the only way for you to beat roger federer the tennis player is if, if if you're worse than him, is to get beaten by him seven times. So the eighth time, you know how to beat him and finally you do it. But if you don't get those seven opportunities, the eighth time doesn't happen. So if, if, if you know, and, and you can compare it to um, Cloud9 in League of Legends. Uh, by January 2018 or by Worlds 2017, they played, you know, North American teams get to play twice a year against international competition in League of Legends. Uh, once in uh, the mid-season invitational, once in uh, the World Championship, where that's, you know, the opportunity. And the rest of the time they play in their own leagues. Whereas in the same time frame, Cloud9, until winning the major in Boston, played, I think, 12 or 13 international tournaments. Um, so to level up to a point where you can become a world champion, you have to have competed with world champions. You, that doesn't, you know, it's only that one in a million fluke where you come out of nowhere and suddenly yeah. with one flick of a finger, you're better than the best team in the world. That doesn't happen other than in movies, basically. Yeah. Uh, you have to give opportunities to compete and um, in, in an open ecosystem where a North American lineup can travel to multiple events and compete with, you know, ninjas in pajamas, with Navi, with uh, Astralis, with Fnatic, and with all those teams, then they can challenge those teams. But if that happens once a year, maybe twice a year, that growth potential is being wasted on them playing opponents who are nowhere near world-class level. And I, I, I I wish that it was a little bit different. Yeah. What kind of pleases you most, I guess, about the fact that we have arrived at this moment where we do get to sit in stadiums and watch esports take place? You know, it, it was a long journey to get there. You know, is there any sort of element of that that kind of makes you sit back and go, we got there? Or, you know, is it that it's always thinking about what's, what's the next thing we need to deal with? Well... We got to where I never thought we would get already probably seven years ago or or six years ago. Um, So I'm already kind of living beyond what I always imagined or wanted. Um, There's a saying in Polish that your appetite grows as you eat. (laughs) So uh, there's no point in uh, cashing in the check right now. We need to keep working. Um, 
What pleases me today is, is the sheer amount of excitement when people gather at an arena and they enjoy, uh, admire two teams. I, I like to say that two teams express their talent uh, through esports, and when they compete against each other, they're comparing that talent yeah. against one another. And, and watching two persons' talent being put to the test and compared in competition, which is so ruthless and, and cruel, it's fascinating and it's so enjoyable and, and that generates so much excitement. And that is, it's like a drug, you know, I sit in the arena and I, I, I feel high, you know, yeah. because it's so entertaining. It's so enthralling when it comes to, uh, the core of your question is, you know, is it time to stop? It's not time to stop. Um, it's time to, um, continue. It's time to figure out how do we make this sustainable so that, um, on every time we do this as ESL and every time anybody does this, um, it's economically viable on all levels, the grassroots level, the challenger level, and that let's call it the master's level, as we call it. How do we make it economically viable? How do we make it exciting uh, every time? How do we make sure that it produces, keeps producing wonderful new champions? These are all the questions that I don't think we have done our complete homework on yet. And I don't think we've properly fully answered them yet. As I said, esports is quite young. Um, there is a lot of discovering to do. I might be completely wrong about the franchise model, for example, and maybe that is the perfect way to go to evolve esports forward and provide stability. Um, and you know, if I see that I'm wrong, I'll, hap I'll happily say that. Yeah. But my point is, we don't know yet what esports needs exactly in the future. Anybody that says they do, they're a charlatan, in my opinion. We, we're still in the at the stage where we're experimenting. You know, like a, a teenager maybe experimenting with many things to find out uh, who they are, what they are, where the boundaries are. We're still in the teenage esports years, and. We're, we're trying to find that right balance of, of what we should be, how we should be, and and what to do to, to grow up to, to be a, a better person. Yeah. How, how important do you feel like Twitch has been over the last five years for, for the sort of acceleration in some ways, I guess? Like one thing that strikes me is it's, it's brilliant that we can get together in this stadium and watch, uh, but the stadium experience is kind of, it enhances that community feeling for the people who can't be here because you see those thousands of people who've come together to love the thing that you love too. So I would say um, it doesn't only, just uh, to, to address the crowd here, it doesn't only uh, enhance the experience for people who hear that excitement and it becomes almost physical because it's audible, but it's, it also pushes players to a different level. And it does. It does. There's a reason why it, matches in a studio don't seem to produce the same level of performance and passion from the players. And if players are hyped up at the very best, they get pushed to that very edge of, of their ability. And that's when it gets the most exciting, um, especially if, you know, there's audible noise around what they do. Um, Reg uh, regarding Twitch's role, I think Twitch has been instrumental in getting uh, esports to where it's at. We used to pay for bandwidth. It's, it used to be peer-to-peer. -peer. It used to be, we used to be in the same situation as, as, you know, if you wanted to be a YouTuber before YouTube, 
you had to buy a camera, you had to upload it somewhere, you had to tell everybody how to find your customers, yeah. so to speak. Now it's reversed. Your, your consumers, your viewers find you uh, on YouTube if you, you know, if you're into cosmetics and review that, or if you, uh, I don't know, a DIY video guy, whatever it might be, you can start a YouTube channel and be successful. Before YouTube showed up, that wasn't viable. Yeah. And we used to be in that situation of that YouTuber that doesn't have the platform. And Twitch came around and, and did that and people could find, um, you know, Twitch streamers or people could find esports that they never knew existed. Um, and that makes it all bigger and more accessible and, and successful in general. Now, the next step is actually uh, from a business side to get to a place where um, Twitch isn't the esports behemoth that it is in, in its own realm, in its own paradigm, because if there is strong competition there in that space, then monetization for uh, esports properties, be it LCS, LEC, Overwatch League, Intel Extreme Masters, ESL1 or whatever else, it becomes easier uh, simply due to the fact that, you know, different platforms are competing for content. And then um, we're able to improve the state of our budgets across the board. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. And uh, one part of me kind of is, uh, I'm not sure if we're quite at that moment yet, but that is the sort of influencer streamer sort of scene almost a potential long-term threat to sort of esports in the sense of are the most elite players genuinely playing on the stages versus, you know, we're seeing a little bit in Overwatch League where people are sort of retiring because they're finding the pressure a little bit too much and that ultimately they can earn just as much money by serving their personal audience and not necessarily participating in this kind of tournament ecosystem. Well, I would say, first of all, is esports losing or potentially going to lose players to streaming if it's extremely lucrative? It might, and it has, and it has. Um, Shroud went to, you know, from Cloud9 to streaming PUBG, and it's become extremely lucrative for him. But it's not for everyone. And it's very, you don't actually know that you've got what it takes. Yeah. Um, other than skill, it takes something completely and utterly undefined to make it as, you know, what made Ninja Ninja, right? 
everybody seems to have the answer, but nobody seems to be able to replicate it. Yeah. So it's not obvious at all um, what it takes to to become as successful as Ninja or Shroud. Um, so I don't think it's for everyone, but it is a a let's say flaw in the system if a career of a streamer is is more lucrative than the career of an esports player. But as I said, it's not for everyone. And at the end of the day, if you're in esports strictly for money and primarily for money, go ahead, go ahead and be a streamer because esports is probably not for you. Um, I find that the players that have lasted, the players have, that have the most loyal fan bases in esports and the, 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 they are the so-called legendary players. They are the ones that they don't care what the price check is at the end. They care about how they feel about that achievement. Is that a trophy with history in front of 10,000 people watching? Or is it a brand new trophy with a million dollars maybe at the end, but there's no, let's say, uh, historic legacy value attached to it. Um, these are the people that are historically the most successful and they have the staying power to be superstars. And I'll use maybe an example from uh, football that I know. When a, a superstar Brazilian player, Coutinho, was leaving uh, Liverpool FC, um, people are saying, look, you can go to Barcelona and become one of many, but you can stay here and you will be worshipped forever. You can be a legend forever. So do you want to cash in and entertain people? Or do you want to be... A legitimate legend that's that's a question yeah um i'm curious as well with when it comes to all the i know from a lot of the conversations i've had a lot of people are pleased that we've sort of crossed the threshold where you know businesses are trying they want to learn now they don't have to be convinced but i'm curious uh what you feel what are the hard conversations that still need to be had with businesses when they're when they're sort of getting involved with esports well I am going farther and farther away from our sales side. So uh, I might have slightly outdated information <laughs> or slightly secondhand information about that. But um, for the most part, we're seeing people, um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because the managers that were in power that are still in power for the last uh, several years, their kids are now... Uh, of a teenage age and those kids are ambassadors to esports at home to the CEOs, VPs of, of major companies and uh, they are able to explain to their parents and they are a credible source to their parents yeah. of what esports is and this is, you know, the most reliable second-hand information they can get about esports um, because obviously you go to agencies that want to sell you something you always have a degree of distrust, but your own child will obviously be very convincing. So um, thanks to all the teenage ambassadors, to, the, to all the CEOs of this world. And then uh, there are people, you know, 35 years and older who are climbing up the corporate ladder that have grown up with esports and understand it. And they don't need any explanation. Um, and these kind of two trends in the corporate world allow us to have much simpler conversations than before with partners where we the question isn't if esports should be supported but how what's the right approach and things like that um probably one of the most difficult questions still is the acceptance of those games with uh, with violence 
because obviously um, that gets mixed in in the media with with other things. However, you know it's a little bit ironic because if you if you look at sports which are which are well accepted and, and perfectly normal to advertise in, there's more violence in them than at esports events. You know, you've got the recent example: um, a, a very prominent Brazilian superstar punched a fan um, uh, in you know soccer superstar punched yeah. a fan. Um, that tends not to happen in in esports and there are far fewer examples of actual physical violence in in esports compared to any sports i mean so there's a bit of a it's it's still a little bit a blend of that um somebody in the chain that's somehow relevant and important be it a journalist that wants to write a bad headline about a corporation or or maybe somebody still in the corporation that doesn't fully understand it, um, you know, they, they don't want to touch a game like CS maybe sometimes. You know, there's terrorists and counter-terrorists. Does an airline want to sponsor that? Probably doesn't, you know, doesn't fit into that traditional p- corporate paradigm. But and, and that would be maybe that full and complete understanding that this is a metaphor, that this... this doesn't really have an actual link with uh, with actual evil that takes that happens in the world. Um, that probably should be still propagated, and that's probably one of the still biggest challenges because we see those sponsors trickling in. You know, Mercedes, Vodafone, the Vodafones, the Coca Colas, the Mercedes, the McDonalds, all of those guys, uh, DHL. They're coming in. So that's no, no longer a question. The question is now, do those brands all understand 100% what they bought into? Um, yeah, I think that's the, that's, the, that's the current question. Yeah. Um, might just quickly circle back to the whole question of the grassroots thing. I'm curious if you feel like it would be good to, you know, is there, would there be benefits in kind of finding ways to reignite lands and cafes and those sorts of physical coming together moments on a small scale, um, you know, that might sort of help that sort of sense of community that sometimes gets lost in the, you know, the pure online play. I come from a internet cafe type of environment. I didn't used to have a connection at home that would allow me to play video games against other people. So I know very well what you're talking about. And those places, by the way, are very, very good breeding grounds for um, esports excellence. Uh, Virtus Pro, that lineup, they're all internet cafe children uh, in, in Counter-Strike. Um, I think it would be fantastic. And I think that's not something I'm a specialist in. Um, I more specialize on the you know top pro gaming <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, circuits. I wouldn't know where to begin and make it a viable business but i think uh, teams can do a lot to um to engage with their audience and uh attempt to um attempt to teach and train new recruits potentially mm. that could become fantastic players for their team or maybe for a for another team maybe for a college team colleges might do something in the u.s although Actually, when when I think about college, probably high schools are a better destination yeah. because um, getting in before they've hit that age level where they, you know, I've seen 
too many esports champions or world class esports players at age 16, 17 to believe that college is the correct destination to be the breeding ground for, for talent. Of course, somebody can blossom a little bit later, but there is no physical reason why a 16-year-old shouldn't be the undisputed world champion at an eSport. And that's a, struct, a certain structural misalignment there between eSports and sports. But still, uh, places like colleges, high schools in the U.S. Um, could be very good to produce those talents mm. um internet cafes and all sorts of headquarter uh, headquarter facilities for gaming teams and things like that could be very very healthy both for esports as a whole and for themselves as well because that creates genuine affinity you know um sometimes it, you know to some people a, a team like cloud9 or fanatic or g2 uh, can be just just a name that they follow online, but if it's a physical touch point where you get to f- actually interact with the brand, yeah. and I mean actually, where you're a participant, you don't you didn't click on, on on an online shop and and buy a shirt and then you got an autograph from Yankos uh, or whoever else that you support, but you actually. actively participated in that team's life by showing up and playing, maybe trying to become a recruit, that generates affinity beyond just, you know, I like the way he plays. Yeah, That generates real um, connections. And I think this is probably the next step for esports teams to to go and and do that for themselves. Mm. Uh, So as kind of a wrapping up point, I feel like, do you feel like, you know, the snowball is an avalanche now? There's, n- there is no existential threat to kind of, you know, the, the esports industry that we, we know today? Or are there sort of some, you know, ongoing challenges that, that need to be kind of ticked off the list to go, okay, yeah, we, you know, I mean, it's, we've got a good 20-year history now. Is, is the 50-year milestone well and truly comfortable? Well, the 20-year history that we have is a little bit, you know, it's similar to the... Um, uh, history of the world empires, right? We had uh, so the Mongol Empire. What, how relevant is the Mongol Empire, uh, or Mongolian Empire, Genghis Khan's uh, empire? How relevant is it to Donald Trump's job today? How much can he learn from it? So I wouldn't say we have a 20-year history. We have uh, 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 several books that are semi-relevant to each other that yeah. add up to, uh, to, to the saga of yeah. esports. But I wouldn't should place everything on, on a single continuum uh, because it's probably not fully correct. All those eras are not f- necessarily fully relevant to each other. Uh, but right now I feel like we need to, we're at a stage where all the assumptions and all the bets made around esports need to be validated and the true value needs to be seen. I mean, if somebody is reportedly paying over $20 million for a spot in the Overwatch League, Without that ever, you know, being validated, the Overwatch League is just over a year old. We don't know if that value was too little, too much, or just enough. Um, and we need to find out all those questions. Um, yeah. And do we know how the reported $90 million for two years of broadcast rights uh, for the Overwatch League, is that good value? Does that represent correct value? Uh, was that, you know, was that an error? Should everybody be buying at those prices? We don't know. 
but these are super interesting questions to me because if if it if you know if first of all if that number is true which you know i don't have any factual data to confirm it's just what i, I read like everybody else um if that number is true and if somebody's willing to pay the same amount or or higher next year then what should ESL and everybody else be charging for, for their broadcast rights? These are very interesting questions. And um, if, if the high bets prove to, to be all correct, then it means we're in a fantastic place with esports. Yeah. If they're not correct, then it's going to be a very, very interesting period of you know, uh, things correcting themselves to the right, to the right balance, to the right proportions. It's, it's actually from a business perspective, there's never been a more interesting time in esports just because, as I said, people have placed bets and these are bets based on assumptions and probably not entirely complete data. And it's going to be fascinating to see which ones uh, had merit, which ones were sold hot air. So yeah. um, I'm really looking forward to the next five years. So how far ahead do you try to keep track of things? One, one tournament, one year, two years? Oof, that's, uh, that's, I've always just tried to make my next step as good as it can be. And then somehow it got me to places. Uh, obviously, you can try to do predictions, but, um, you know, half a year, half a year into PUBG, we thought, holy shit. And then none of us saw Fortnite coming. And Fortnite just, just you know, eclipsed PUBG in, in quite a significant way. Six months before PUBG, no one saw PUBG coming. So there might be a game that's about to be released that's going to eclipse everything that we, that we know. Um, so it's, in a world like this, it's difficult to predict what's going to happen with absolute certainty. You can make predictions, obviously, based on certain logic, but... I don't think one month before the explosion of PUBG, nobody in the world could have predicted what would happen. Otherwise, they'd be the billionaire right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, again, anyone who gives you predictions about esports for longer than 18 months and claims that this is the absolute truth um, is a charlatan in my view. Uh, you always have to, you know, esports has taught me to be humble about predictions more than once in my lifetime. The Esports Moment is produced by me, Seamus Byrne, as part of the Biteside Podcast Network. You can catch all the rest of the Esports Moment via biteside.com or, of course, in all your favorite podcast apps. Get it in those feeds. And while you are getting it, please drop a review in if you're enjoying the show. I love getting feedback. Thank you to all who've been sending me emails or messages you can of course email the show via moment at biteside.com that is correct um, or if that doesn't seem like it's working then you can just send me a message via twitter i am at seamus that's at s-e-a-m-u-s 
You can find me there a lot of the time. That's probably my favorite social platform for just chatting about all sorts of things, especially esports. And uh, yeah, feel free to stop by and let me know what you think. And I will be back again next week with another episode of the Esports Moment. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.